The Holy Gospel for today comes from Luke chapter 19. Kids, if there is a Spark Story Bible near you, maybe behind you or in front of you, if you can see it, you're welcome to go get one. And the story starts on page 454. After he had said this, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed it and found it as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's, you know, a decent part of the way uh, into Palm Sunday worship, and you still have this little thing with you in your seat. It's a decent part of the way into worship, and we're still talking about the Palm Sunday story. This is a little different than our worship life before COVID. Now, if you haven't been here before COVID, then this part doesn't really matter to you, right? But, but for many years in our pre-COVID worship Palm Sundays, we spent the first part of worship telling this story, the Palm Sunday story. And then once we came into the sanctuary, we kind of shifted gears, and we began to tell instead the story of Jesus' passion. So what happens after Palm Sunday? Jesus coming into the city, his last supper, the foot washing, his betrayal, his arrest, his unjust trial, and eventually his death on the cross. But we're pretty far away into worship today, and we're still here. So what happened? Today is the start of what the church has for many generations called Holy Week, which doesn't mean that other weeks aren't holy or that other experiences and stories aren't holy, but that somehow something about this week and its stories are set apart, and we want to take our time with them and really tell them well. So that's what we're doing today. We're taking our time to start at the beginning of Holy Week, which is this palm procession into Jerusalem. We're heading toward the end of the Gospels here. Jesus has been busy for several years, preaching, teaching, feeding, healing, making people mad. And for a while, he's been heading out of the countryside and toward the city of Jerusalem. And that makes some sense. That's where the city of, that's where the powerful people are, where the most, the holiest places in Jesus' own religious tradition are. In today's story, he and his friends are standing at the edge of the city, at the Mount of Olives, and they're getting ready to actually go into the city. And Jesus and his friends want it to be a triumphal procession in, a parade 
sort of fit for a king. So think about the last time you saw a parade that involved some sort of celebration of someone powerful. It might have been a parade you were at. It might have been one you saw on TV. But what would you expect from a parade for a king, let's say? Think about, mm, I don't know, maybe some military tanks, right? Uh, weapons, sometimes soldiers, a show of force and power and might. There are often flags, uniforms, the kind that are brightly colored, perfectly clean and pressed and ready for this day. There's music, usually the marching kind with, band, with uh, bands and drums and sometimes trumpets and a handful of piccolos maybe. And then finally at the end, there's the king on a, a stallion of impeccable lineage with a gleaming sword in his belt and a crown maybe on his head. That's not what we get today. <laughs> That's not the parade on Palm Sunday. What we get instead is a strange little incident where Jesus borrows a colt, a baby donkey, and he rides it into town while people are waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the road. That's it as far as the pomp and circumstance goes. There are no tanks or weapons or uniforms or marching bands. There's just the voices of people and particularly some of the stories say of children shouting for joy. And in the background, you can hear the grumbling of the powerful people who are none too happy about all of it. Although Jesus says, don't worry, if everybody here fell silent, the stones themselves would shout out. This is how Holy Week begins. Everything is flipped on its head. We have a king who rides in on an animal so young and vulnerable it can probably barely hold him, and a crowd who has nothing to offer except the literal clothes off their back. And the song they are singing has no drums or trumpets, but it does have an echo to the song of the angels that was sung to the shepherds on the night this king was born, glory in heaven and peace in the highest heaven. This is where we start, and for today, this story is where we're going to stop and stay for a while. As is often the case, looking at the context of this passage is helpful to better understand why Jesus does what he does, why Jesus chooses to enter Jerusalem in this way. At the very beginning of this same chapter in Luke, we hear the famous story of Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know about you, but all I have to do is read or hear the name and automatically my brain starts singing the song. Kids, do you know what song I'm talking about? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? That's all you have to say is Zacchaeus and automatically that song comes to your head. Many of us heard this song at a very young age. And it's a fun and relatable story for kids because he's a short guy who wants to see Jesus but can't see over all the tall people in the crowd. So he climbs a tree like many kids would. And Jesus sees him and gives him the honor of publicly saying he wants to come to dinner at Zacchaeus's house. And then in the process of eating just one meal with Jesus, Zacchaeus decides to change his ways and gives half his money to the poor. That's the version we heard as kids. But now, for those adults in the room, it's also important to think about and ask again, why does Jesus do this? 
Well, as you might or might not remember about this story, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In fact, it says he was the chief tax collector, suggesting that he was a tax collector that oversaw all the other tax collectors in this prosperous region of Jericho. He was wealthy, and as the story later suggests, this is because he had taken advantage of his position of power and extorted money from the Jewish people, taking more than was owed so that he could become wealthy. And even though he himself was Jewish, he was working on the side of the Romans, which made him a traitor and an outcast to the Jewish people. So the fact that Jesus chose to stay at this man's house, this sinner's house, as the crowd in the story describes him, suggests that Jesus is doing something here to work against the status quo. Jesus is eating and drinking with outcasts and sinners. Jesus is reaching out to people whom others have written off as not worthy. And in doing so, Jesus is changing the minds and hearts and lives of people who can and do make a difference in the world. It is because of this meal and this interaction with wee little Zacchaeus that this man of power turns around and commits to righting his wrongs and serving the people, committing to give away half of his belongings to the poor and paying back all those he had embezzled from four times what he took. And if this can be done with one man of power, then perhaps there is hope that others in power can be changed as well. Others in the crowd must have realized this too because scripture tells us that the people thought the kingdom of God was going to come at once. But from this interaction with Zacchaeus and immediately before the triumphal entry, or maybe we should say not so triumphal entry, of Jesus into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Jesus tells a parable that is not found in our lectionary, one that even Pastor Katie and I were saying that we didn't even recognize because it doesn't show up in our regular Sunday readings. It's called the parable of the ten minas. And it is similar to the parable of the talents that is told in Matthew, but is different in one very important way, the way power is taken and given in the story. Instead of a man simply going on a journey and entrusting his property to servants, in this version, he is a man of noble birth who goes to a distant country to, and I quote, have himself appointed as king. So he was going basically to assert his authority and claim power over another country. Whether this is the story of a monarchy or a dictator, no one knows. Anyway, this nobleman leaves and he gives his servants money and orders them to put the money to work while he is gone. The parable then tells us that the people of this country that he was going to take over hated him. And didn't just not like him, but hated him, it says. And said that they didn't want him to be their king. But nevertheless, he becomes their king anyway. Sounds like a dictator or a tyrant to me. This nobleman then returns home and calls his servants to, and again I quote, find out what they had gained with his money. He wants to know how much money his employees have made for him while he was away taking over another country. Not surprisingly, the ones who made him the most money are then rewarded with not just more money, but cities to rule over in his new kingdom that he just took over. 
And similar to the story of the 10 talents, all but one of the servants earned more money, though this version does not say how. So they could have cheated and stole, even embezzled, like the tax collector in the last story. And the one servant who was afraid of the ruler, who takes what he does not put in and reaps what he does not sow, man, does that sound different in this parable, he hid the money entrusted to him, and so he did not make any more. This, of course, makes the nobleman upset, and so he takes everything from the man that didn't make him any money while he was gone and gives it to the one who made him the most money. The parable then ends with the nobleman commanding his servants to bring him all of the enemies who did not want him to become king and kill them all in front of him. Yeah, I think we can figure out why this isn't regular story in lectionary. <laughs> However, in light of the story of Zacchaeus, which sends the message that Jesus came to change the status quo, to seek out and save the lost, to befriend and support the lonely, the outcast, those in pain and who suffer, those who most people would write off as unworthy, coupled with our story today of a humble man riding on a borrowed donkey, with nothing but his friends and literally the clothes on his back. Perhaps this parable of a cruel dictator or king taking over a country by force, being governed by those who are wealthy and can make the most money, is meant to be an example of what the world views as power today. Perhaps this parable is sandwiched between these two stories because Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that the kingdom of God, whom the people have been waiting for, will not come in the way that most people have experienced it in the world. The kingdom of God will not be taken by force and money and abuse of power. The kingdom of God will not be taken through murder and embezzlement, through fear and terror, with swords and spears and tanks and guns and bombs. The kingdom of God will not be a society that reinforces the idea of an economy where the rich get richer and the poor get what they deserve. Unlike the parable of the talents in Matthew, where many have thought that the man who goes on a journey is the God figure in the parable, perhaps Jesus or God is not found anywhere in this parable. And that's the point. Because in God's kingdom... Power looks completely different. This is why you're still holding this palm today. You're not holding a sword, although I will say it's good for poking siblings, but try not to do it. You're not holding a sword or a scepter or a crown or a club. You're not holding a gun or a knife. The palm branch is not a symbol of power in any traditional sense, and it would be profoundly useless if you marched into battle with it. If it wasn't fragile enough on its own, it will eventually dry up. And then we will gather those branches and we will burn them and we will grind them into ash, and next year we will gather and put that ash on our heads and remind ourselves, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But it's one thing to say all this in here where we are relatively safe anyway. It's one thing to leave the palms here 
as a symbol of God's power. Today, though, we want you to take these palms out of here with you. Because while we have stayed in the Palm Sunday story for this day, this story does not actually belong here, or not just here, anyway. It belongs out there. God's form of power belongs out in the world where it is badly needed. It's risky, of course, to walk into the world with just a palm branch and a handful of old coats. It's as risky as having a meal with a tax collector or riding into town on a small donkey. It's as risky as loving people all the way to the cross and refusing to give in to injustice while also refusing to be violent in return. Today is a beginning. It's the beginning of Holy Week, but not just Holy Week. The Palms remind us that it is to be a beginning of a way of life, that we don't just live in here, but that we walk out every place we go. We are called to be people who are armed with nothing but palm branches and old cloaks and persistent, undying love. So that one day we will learn and remember that every week, every week is holy. In Jesus' name, amen.